there's this saying in sales that no is the second best answer, right? Because yeah. we're all dreading that, uh, you know, that, that black hole of, you know, thinking that there's an opportunity here and chasing them and following up and, you know, trying to f- deliver value and, and being frustrated because you told your, your sales manager that you felt confident about this opportunity, but then all of a sudden you never hear from the guy again. You know, those are such common stories in sales. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we're talking with Victor Adefuye, and uh, we're going to talk about key steps for successful discovery calls. A um, little bit of background. Victor is the, the founder and CEO of Dana Consulting, which helps small businesses launch a repeatable and scalable sales process and train their sales teams to close more deals with evidence-based strategies. Victor is a sales coach with more than 10 years of experience in complex B2B sales, both as a rep and now as a sales coach. He's also a sales advisor at Bionic Solution and Galvanize Inc., where he offers guidance on B2B sales to entrepreneurs at Fortune 500 companies and startup founders. Victor, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on today. Nice, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's jump into the interesting stuff. To start off, where does the discovery call fit into the overall sales process? Yeah, I mean, the discovery call, I think, is a really critical piece. Um, It's the top of the funnel. You know, it's the entry point of the funnel, if you will, um, where uh, you determine whether you have an opportunity. And so it's absolutely critical. Um, and um, it's really where you, you, you get a chance to understand the pain points that the customer is experiencing and um, evaluate whether th- those pain points are significant enough and they're motivated enough to do something about it. So it's really where the whole, the whole thing starts, um, and, and therefore it's a really important piece. Yeah, it really is. Uh, what's the first step? before the discovery call preparation research how do you approach that yeah no i i research and preparation are absolutely key um because you know i'm a big believer in building rapport and looking professional um to your to your prospects and so um the, doing the research helps you achieve both of those goals you know you might do some linkedin research some web-based research to find out if the, you have any commonalities with the person um, that you're about to meet with um, that allows you to create that human to human connection um, that lets you start building trust which is such a such an important piece um, so I always, I always encourage, um, the, I always do it myself and my clients that um, spend a few minutes before the call, really get to understand who the person that you're speaking to, um, because uh, not only does it help you build rapport, but it also gives you some insight into who they are, the role that they play at the company. Are they the right person for you to be speaking to in the first place? Um, so the, yeah, I, I, I'm always, I'm a big fan of prepar- preparing by doing some real research. And if you're an outside salesperson going into the into a meeting or into a discovery call, I guess in this case, yeah, what are the most important goals that the salesperson should be planning to accomplish with a prospect? 
Yeah, the most important goals are determining whether you have a qualified opportunity and whether or not they are willing to take the next step. Um, whether they're willing to invest the time, the resources to um, continue to explore a relationship with you. So um, qualifying obviously is a function of are they my, do they fit within my target client profile? You know, there might be some things that you can't tell um, as an outsider, some demographic fee, um, aspects of the business or the customer that you can't tell. And you need to go in there and see, all right, are they, do they have the, enough annual revenue to afford what we do or that fits with the annual revenue of our best clients? Um, and then, of course, do they have the needs and the pain points that your problem solves? And so um, qualification is, is a very, very important first goal, but not everybody that's qualified or, and has a need or a problem wants to do something about it and is motivated to do something about it. And so really evaluating the seriousness of the problem and the willingness of the, of the person that you're speaking to to take affirmative steps uh, towards a, a closed deal um, is, is, is the second important goal of a, of a sales conversation. Now, most of the people on this uh, that, that listen to this podcast are field or outside salespeople. Yeah. Um, this, there's a there's a, a wrinkle in discovery calls. I think we should flesh out a little bit. Sure. Uh, a lot of them have the option to doing these types of discovery calls over the phone and like during an office day, and then they set their meetings in person and they show up in person and have an in person meeting. But yeah. others of them actually are doing the discovery also out in the field. How, mm -hmm. how is a discovery call different over the phone versus in an in-person situation? Well, in terms of the goals, I don't think there's much difference. Um, when it comes to the qualification that I talked about, are, do they fit my ideal client profile? Do they have the needs and pain points? Certainly, that's still important. And then, of course, the second goal of are they willing to move forward, that is also important. But I will say that um, in terms of the relationship building, in person is, you know, it gives you an advantage, right? It's, there's so much body language that you can't read when you're on the phone with someone um, that you get an opportunity to really see um, when you're with them face to face. And then to the extent that trust is such an important part of the sales process, I, I, I tend to think that meeting someone face-to-face -face allows you to build a stronger baseline of trust than if you're just, you know, a voice at the other end of the phone. So, um, you know, I, I, think, I think that uh, in terms of their goals, they're absolutely uh, the same. But when it comes to the, the benefits, I do think that, um, you know, meeting with someone face-to-face -face has advantages that uh, having virtual meetings with them uh, doesn't have. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense to me. Well, let's dive into the actual blocking and tackling around, of the, around the skills that you would use to do a great discovery call. Sure. What are the key questions to ask during the discovery call? Yeah, so um, I think there are three categories that are the most important. Um, the first are... Um, those questions that are designed to elicit whether the customer has a problem that you can solve, right? So, uh, you know, the, the existence of a problem, a pain point is the foundation of a successful um, uh, sale. 
you know, I, I'm a big believer in the, in the saying, no pain, no gain, no opportunity, right? If the customer isn't suffering some sort of um, a painful uh, um, uh, situation that has a serious consequence on them, if they won't realize any benefit from uh, addressing that problem, then there really, really isn't an opportunity. So um, asking, knowing to ask those questions um, that elicit whether they are experiencing those problems, I think is, is absolutely critical. And that's, that's the first um, key question. The second category of key questions are what I call evidence questions. So those are the questions that allow you to get insight in how the customer knows that that problem exists. So on the one hand, with the problem questions, you're asking, do you, are you experiencing this, this uh, problem? When you ask evidence questions, you're saying, how do you know it's a problem? And that's when you start to get into the data, the KPIs that the customer is looking at that can, you can use to build the foundation of your sale, right? So if they say, you know, we're experiencing a ton of employee turnover, the evidence question there would be how many people are leaving every month, right? And then how, how much of that, how much is that costing you as an organization, right? So by asking them um, these evidence questions, you get a chance to, uh, to look at the metrics that they're going to be looking at to, um, to evaluate whether this project is a success. And then finally, the third category are what I would call impact questions. So those are what impact is uh, this problem um, having on the corporation at large and then the individuals within the organization, right? Because the more, the greater the impact, the more, uh, the more negative impact that they're experiencing, the more likely they are to be motivated to do something about it. And it also takes them on an emotional journey where they're kind of evaluating um, all the negative consequences um, that they're experiencing as a result of the problem. And as those negative consequences kind of build up in their head, they're going to be much more motivated um, to change. You know, there's a saying that, you know, people change when the pain of, of, uh, of, of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so by asking these impact questions, really digging into and getting an understanding of how the problem is impacting both the company and the individuals within the company, um, you, get a, you get a chance to build up that, uh, that, that, the pain of staying the same, which, um, which will motivate them to want to wanna do something about it. So I guess as sometimes a discovery call is a part of a sales call and you just do the discovery at the beginning and you're qualifying it and other times it's a totally separate interaction. Uh, regardless, I guess there's, there's steps and phases to the discovery call portion of your, of your sales interaction that I guess you're using these, these key questions that you've gone over. Yeah. Could you walk us through an example of how the conversation goes like through the through the the timeline of when you should ask these questions, these different types of questions? Sure, absolutely. So I always uh, we've already touched on some of this, right? So at the beginning of the conversation, I think it's important to relate human to human and and kind of build rapport. And that's where the research that we talked about, finding those commonalities that you share with the person, making sure you know they know they're dealing with a human being here, right? And then um, I, the next step I would say is uh, regaining control of that conversation and setting an agenda. 
right? And so by setting an agenda, you look like a professional and you make clear to the um, prospect that, you know, th we have a goal here. There's an objective here. And that objective typically is I want to find out more about you and your pain points and, um, you know, share a little bit about us and determine whether there's a fit. And so um, by, by, by setting that agenda, it, it gives you permission to start digging in um, and asking questions. That's when the qualifying questions come in, the problem questions, the evidence questions, the impact questions um, that we talked about. Um, by, and this should be the bulk of the call because um, the more you get the customer talking, the more insights you have into how they're thinking about the issue, the consequences, how willing they are to move forward. So the bulk of the conversation should be those qualifying questions in the middle. Towards the end of the conversation, that's when you get an opportunity to explain who you are and what you do. Um, again, the benefit of asking these questions ahead of time allows you to tailor your pitch to the needs that they've um, explicitly said that they want to, that they have, and they want to do something about. And so, instead of rattling off all the um, different things that you can do, you can really tailor it to the specific needs of the prospect. And this is also an opportunity for you to tell stories, success stories. You know, data shows that human beings uh, recall stories so much more than, I think up to 22 times more uh, than, than facts and figures or just a list of all the features that you, that are involved in your product or service. So telling a story of a similar customer that was struggling with those very same issues and how they were able to overcome them by working with you. So yeah, telling stories is really critical in this uh, section where you're explaining what you do because at the end of the day, when they walk around and they go and talk to their boss, they're not gonna remember, oh, you know, they, they have this feature, that feature, or that feature, or they can do this and that. Um, they're gonna remember they, remember, they helped a customer that was just like us to achieve this particular goal. So it's really important to tell stories in the section where, where you're explaining your solution. And then you close out the call. And this is an absolutely critical piece, right? Because this is where you start um, testing the customer to see are they willing to move forward, right? So at the end of the conversation, I like to ask them straight up, did you see value in our conversation today? Did you, do you believe that uh, it's worth trying to address these issues? And then you get a, some insight into the customer and how they're thinking, and in particular, how they're gonna go about selling um, um, what you describe to them to the other people in the organization. So it gives you an opportunity to influence that and hear the value that they um, get, that they got from the call or that they perceive as a result of working with you. And then it's about setting next steps, right? And so if, if they are serious and they do see the value, they should be able to commit to some next step that's affirmative, that advances the sale, and there should be absolute clarity as to what those steps are, what, they, what the customer is going to do, what you're going to do, um, timelines for each of those actions um, is absolutely critical. So the closing out the call is, is really important. Closing it out strongly is really important and with absolute clarity about the obligations that each party is going to um, uh, take on to move the sale forward. This is absolutely golden stuff. Um, how, how do you know if, if you were successful in your discovery call? 
you know you're successful if the customer accomplishes or the responses to those two goals that we talked about at the beginning are affirmative and are positive, right? So are they qualified, right? Are they, do they fit your target customer? Do they have a problem that you can, that you can solve, right? So that's, that's the first step. If they can answer that qualification question positively, you, you know you've been successful. But then the second part of are they willing to do something to move forward, that's also really key, right? Because that's when you know, is it worth my emotional resources? You know, when I go to my, to my sales leader in our one-on-one our -on -one meeting or our pipeline reviews and I say, I'm either confident or not confident about this deal or I feel good about it, you know, you, that's really a consequence of the customer making some sort of commitment to advance the sale, whether giving you some information that you need to produce some sort of ROI analysis or giving you access to others in the organization that are gonna be involved in the decision-making process. Whatever it is that that is a clear next step that shows their investment, um, if they're willing to commit to that and they're qualified, then you know you've successfully um, executed a good discovery call. That's fine. That's exactly the way I see it. I, I'd also, I would add to that and say a discovery call or your qualification process is successful if you've done it and, and, and whether you found out they were a good fit for you and they are willing to take next steps, that's mm -hmm. success. But it's also the, from a discovery call perspective, you're successful if you find out that they're not a good fit or, or that there's someone who is going to take a is a good fit and would take a bunch of your time but is not willing to take the actions or the steps yet or ever and those are as a salesperson a great a great uh, you know I, I call those like the quicksand traps of sales mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. you find someone who's like god this person totally needs my product and it would save them a ton of money or make them a ton of money or do whatever it is that you do yeah and uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it uh, yeah. and, and finding that out and being able to, to be like, wow, well, there's no reason in my mind they wouldn't do this. Maybe they've got other priorities, whatever it is, being able mm -hmm. to put that, put that person on the shelf and not waste your sales cycles on them. Yeah. That is successful discovery. That is a success in qualification. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, there's that saying in sales that no is the second best answer, right? Because yeah. we're all dreading that, uh, you know, that, that black hole of, you know, thinking that there's an opportunity here and chasing them and following up and, you know, trying to f deliver value and hoping that they're going to take a next step and being frustrated because you told your, your sales manager that, that you felt confident about this opportunity, but then all of a sudden you never hear from the guy again. You know, those are such common stories in sales. And usually, I mean, look, there are going to be times where people are going to lead you on and, you know, or things change and they're not as motivated. But if you don't do a good enough job in discovery to determine, to evaluate the customer and determine, are they really serious about this? That's when you set yourself into that trap of, you know, emotional and, uh, you know, chasing uh, that and all the suffering that comes along with that, um, having your expectations dashed, et cetera. You know, some people are counting their commissions before it even hits, hits their <laughs> check. Right. And, you know, right. spending it, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Don't so, do that. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. I, I actually, I, uh, this was something that I always struggled with when I was a salesperson, just because I, I, by nature, have happy ears. 
and uh, <laughs> and, and I I, uh, I was working a deal with it was a, a deal with a state which you know no it, a state government is notoriously slow and mm-hmm. it was a, a several million dollar deal it was gonna take this is when I was at Google but it it always felt like this is so perfect and you guys are in so much pain and and it was so hard for me to. I, either I didn't know how to, or my, my ears were just too happy. But I could not. Mm-hmm. I could not get. I could not internalize <laughs> that they were not going to do anything for years. And yeah. so I just. I dutifully worked this deal for like two years. And oh man! Then my my territory switched. I shifted into like focusing on a different product area for mm-hmm. for Google, and I passed the deal. And like you know, made, made, you know, just like made, made a clean a clean baton pass to the next rep. And sure enough, two years later, they did a three million dollar deal out of it. It was the same deal. I mean, it just—it yeah. it literally just took like four years to five years to do. Yeah. And and I shouldn't have spent. I mean, I guess it, it was good for the company eventually that I did it, but I, I didn't make a dime off of it. I, I shouldn't <laughs> have. I shouldn't have spent much time those first two years. And if I was just smart enough to you know ask the questions, when when are you guys going to be able to yeah. move on this? Like when when is this evaluation going to happen? When, yeah. You know, what is what is the next step mm-hmm. on when this will happen? It, they may have just said, oh, well, probably the next step is for us to do an RFP that won't start for two years. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst. But, but I'm not even sure if I knew to ask that at, this, at that point in my career. Yeah, no, we've all been there, man. I mean, anyone that's been in sales longer than five minutes has experienced that. And look, all of this stuff is intuitive, but it takes a lot of discipline, right? And you have to remember the the checkpoint the the points that you want to check off your list you know asking about things like timeline asking about things like are you considering any uh, competitive options any other competitors to try to address these issues so that they don't come as a surprise right and so yeah. I think a big part of this is you know when I when I coach my clients I'm 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 I try to encourage them to think of it as you need to be evaluating the customer just as much as they're evaluating you because we all have the same 24 hours in the day and the more time that you're spent um, chasing after a deal that's not quite ready or not the right fit is less time that you that you're spending going after the good deals and nurturing those relationships that are the right fit and that are really going to close so being discriminating is so key and and part of that is remembering to to ask these tough questions about Hey, how serious are you? Are you willing to move forward? Are you willing to invest time and resources in really exploring this? And and by when do you want to do so? An action item that that uh, I always encourage people to have around this is have a clean baton pass back in your organization. Ha- set up the process mm-hmm. for a cle- just as clean of a p- baton pass back from sales to marketing as you have from marketing to sales. Everyone focuses on how to move a lead, <laughs> how, to move, how to move a lead from marketing to sales. But a lot of times you do this early discovery, you have to have a process to hand it right back for yep. the drip, drip emails, yep. inviting to the events, because you want to take that off the salesperson's plate and make it, you want to encourage the salesperson to, to, to do this discovery call and then be able to say, hey, these guys aren't ready to enter a cycle yet. I'd yeah. like marketing to, I'm going to label them this in the CRM mm-hmm. and that's, that's marketing's going to, that baton pass picks them, picks them back up on the marketing team and the marketing team will put them in this drip campaign for the next 
indefinite amount of time until they're yeah. ready until they're ready to re-engage with me yeah absolutely um, i mean uh, i don't know if you've had him on the podcast but i'm a big fan of anthony ian arino's work uh he wrote a book um you know the lost art of closing recently and he talked about um, a series of commitments that you need to uh, acquire throughout the sales process. And he also writes a lot about how we like to pretend like the sales process is linear, right? Um, that mm -hmm. follow step one, step two, step three, step four, and then it's a closed deal. And reality is a lot more complicated than that, right? Some people can take a step and then two steps back, right? Mm -hmm. Or some people can skip over a bunch of steps um, and get to the close very, very quickly. And so, we like to believe that uh, we can kind of take life that's complex and put it into these neat little boxes, but it's, but it's very, very difficult to do so. And so you're, you're absolutely right. Recognizing that if someone is not ready to move forward, then you need to have kind of like an off ramp for them, you know, sending them back to marketing, nurturing that relationship that'll make sure that you still stay front of mind when they are ready to buy. Yeah, we, we had Anthony on uh, a couple months ago, and he he had some fantastic thoughts. That's that's best. actually uh, that's that's a podcast. I would, you know, I guess most people listen to these in order, but mm -hmm. go back and listen to that one if you if you did jump around here. But that's because that's that's a really good one. Yep. So, what should salespeople do if they realize that they've had had a call, but they didn't get all their key questions answered? How do they pull that back and and is it important enough to do this type of discovery that if they, if they realize they walk out of a meeting and they're like, Oh, I didn't do this piece. How do they pull that back? How do they, what do you, what do you recommend for circling around to like reopen a topic kind of awkwardly after the fact? Yeah. I mean, there's no, I mean, there's no magic here, right? So if there's something that you missed that is really, really critical and you ran out of time in the meeting or you forgot it in the meeting, if there's a real opportunity here and there's some level of trust built, just reach back out to them and say, hey, um, I forgot to ask you, what are your objectives? What metrics are you going to use to measure success, right? What, what do you think is the, is the right timeline? Have you guys thought about budget? Whatever the questions may be, if you missed it, then go back to the customer, um, give them a call and, and say, just want to get some clarity on, on this one issue. Um, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be a problem. If you've got a multi-step sales process, is most, I, I think probably most of the people listening here uh, do, that's a little bit more of a complex sale versus just a simple transactional sale, then there should be some future meeting um, between that discovery meeting and uh, a signed contract where you need to um, make sure that you ask that question um, in that next meeting as well. So, you know, we're not, nobody's perfect. We're not robots. We're not going to remember to, uh, to, to do everything right uh, every single time. Um, but uh, remembering that you forgot something and then uh, figuring out when to uh, creating an op another opportunity to ask um, is absolutely critical. And I don't, I don't think uh, it should be that big of a deal if, if there's a true trust and that there's a true opportunity. And if you're a sales manager and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking to yourself this whole time, Man, I might not have my sales team doing enough discovery. Uh, I should really think about this. What would you advise them to start this process? How how would you involve? How would you advise them to get their reps on track and start a process and a procedure for regularly doing these types of discovery questions or or separate discovery calls? 
Yeah. Well, the first step is you give me a call and you hire me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there that, you go. That, that, that would solve a lot of the issues. Um, but um, <laughs> short of that, um, scripts, right? You know, this is, this is why scripts are so important. They're important for training. They're important for discipline. They're important uh, for accountability. Um, you know, this is, this, is, this is where it all starts. You know, giving, I think it's the responsibility of the management to arm the salespeople with the tools that they need to be successful. And that includes clarity as to who the customers are and clarity as to how those conversations should go, right? In addition to, you know, the right problem questions and um, getting, having a sense of what potential impacts there might be that you should be looking for and digging into, you know, there are things like objections, right? What are the most frequently asked questions that your customers are going to ask? What stories should you be telling, right? So this is about putting, it's, it's about scripts. It's about uh, putting together a playbook and having reps memorize these things, role-playing these things, um, you know, pop questions when you're doing your team meetings and pipeline review to reinforce uh, uh, the, the right behaviors. The, that's the responsibility of the management. And if you, if you find that there's, you know, I, I saw a study the other day that, that I think it was on OpenView. They had a study that showed that um, one of the biggest differences between successful sales teams and non-successful ones is a lack of consistency, right? The, the sales teams that were successful all of their reps or most of their reps were executing on the same process. They were giving the same pitch. Their discovery calls were had the same structure, but with the teams that were less successful, it was the wild, wild west, right? Everybody was pitching it the way that they wanted to. They were, you know, selling it the way that they wanted to. And it's that inconsistency that leads to such a huge disparity in the performance of top reps versus um, those who aren't um, uh, at the top. And so, I think this is management's responsibility. You know, get those scripts, put together that playbook, anticipate um, what those issues will be that your that your uh, team will encounter. Role play with them and reinforce those behaviors. That's the best thing you can do for your team. Is there uh, is there a place that you could think of that they have access to a great playbook that they could use? I'm I'm a, a lot of our customers I don't believe have put together a tight sales playbook. Could you, is there like a sample somewhere that you'd recommend checking out? Um, I don't know if I, any, I, I can, I don't know about a sample. I can, I can give you a sense of some of the sections in the playbooks that I've worked with clients to develop. Right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think you got to have a section on who the target customer is, um, and their profile. Um, you got to have a section on your competitors and how you compare to the different uh, ways that customers, the different alternatives customers have to solving the problem and getting a sense of the pros, your, your strengths and your weaknesses relative to those competitive options. Um, you know, you have to have the discovery call script, as we talked about, um, success stories, um, a list of frequently asked questions, objections and the best responses to them. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that's pretty standard across the board. Closing scripts, the sales process, right? So what, what does meaning number one need to look like? What does meaning number two ideally need, need to look like? Um, you know, the handoff from, from sales to operations, those key parts of the process, outlining them. You know, for me, 
I don't know how people train. I, I actually, I do know how people train reps without this stuff. They do it by shadowing and hoping that they, you know, pick up good, good, good habits while they're shadowing. But you know, you got to have a structured training process. You got to have these things documented or you're going to end up in that wild, wild west situation that we talked about a minute ago where everybody's doing whatever they need to and best practices aren't really uh, shared. Uh, among the team. So um, those are the sections that I think are pretty standard that every organization should have. There might be something different based on the needs of your product or, or your industry, but I would say those things are pretty fundamental across all of sales. Outstanding. Well, I'd like to uh, ask a couple questions. I call this the sales in 60 seconds section where we try to, uh, you know, we, I'll ask a question and, and you'll ask, answer it real fast, basically. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm a sales guy, so I, I, I can talk. So I'm going to pretend I'm going to try to stick with the 60 seconds or even better. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So tell me what's the most common mistakes to avoid doing during your first interaction with a prospect? Talking too much about yourself. If you spend most of the conversation talking about you and how awesome you are, you're not going to understand their needs. You're not going to be able to position yourself as a solution to their problems. So the number one mistake by far that I see is people going into a 30 minute meeting and spending 28 of it uh, talking about how great they are and how great their product is or the yes. features or yep. yeah, I totally agree. Yep. Uh, are there any sales tools or apps or particular resources about sales that you would recommend people check out? I'm not, uh, there's, there's a ton of technology, right? And I think it's very easy to find technology. I'm, I'm an old school kind of guy, right? I, th I, be I believe in books, right? I believe in learning um, and uh, podcasts. Um, you know, I think every salesperson's got to be really investing the time and resources into bettering themselves and improving their skills. And that goes from reading the classics like spin selling and all the other Neil Racken books and all the challenger books and um, you know uh, the books by Anthony Ian Arino that I talked about and listening to podcasts like this one, hearing the experiences of other salespeople, getting tips and how to improve. That's, 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 that's the magic app that has existed since human being has been uh, writing. So, um, and, and listening to each other. So I think those are, those are the most useful tools. What is the most important thing salespeople need to do after a discovery call? I think you got to sit down, you got to debrief on how the call went, you know, send that email to the customer saying, Hey, this is what I heard um, about your needs, you know, make sure that they're, they're clear about that. Uh, uh, and, and if there are any issues, give them an opportunity to, to rebut it or edit it. Um, and then really think about what else you need to know to evaluate this opportunity. So I think that debrief, um, whether it's by the salesperson themselves or in conjunction with their manager, to really think through um, how great of how good of an opportunity is this, what do we know, what do we need to know, is is a really critical next step. What, in your opinion, is the key to success in field sales? I think it's it's managing the ups and downs, right? Realizing that uh, you can't get too high with the highs and get too low with the lows and make sure that you're doing the inputs that ultimately lead to the better, the best results, right? Um, you and I were talking before about all the different pieces that are involved in the sales process and how you can improve in, in all of those pieces and, and it can have a positive impact on your results. And so I think the, it's about persistence, 
constantly um, trying to improve your skills and making sure that you re, uh, that you're you're doing those doing the inputs correctly that'll lead to the to to ultimately uh, maximizing your results. So, forget the roller coaster and just focus on doing the work and have faith that by doing the work and improving on your ability to do the work that you're going to get better and have the good results. How do you differentiate between discovery and qualification? Or do I, you? I don't really. I kind of I kind of feel like they're interchangeable, right? Because I mean, you I guess you could look at the definition and be like, all right, discovery is like learning and qualifying is judging by a particular standard, but to me, you judge by a particular standard by listening and learning and, and trying to understand. So um, I, I, I'm sorry if there was any confusion there, but I kind of use those two words in, interchangeably. I think um, it, they basically represent the activities that occur in that first conversation where you're trying to evaluate, is this customer a fit? Do they have a problem that I want to solve? And, and do they, uh, do they, are they willing to move forward? I've always loved calling it discovery instead of qualification. This might mm-hmm. just—I'm a—I'm a, a word dork, but yeah, um, I, I feel like discovery emphasizes that you're learning about the customer yes, here, yes, and yes. so through your discovery, sometimes you qualify people out. But it was—it was a learning process. So I, I love—I love the focus on the the word discovery. I, I like that too. I like I, that too. So, well, given that you're an expert in discovery calls, what is the best advice that you would like to give our listeners in that area? Listen more than you talk, right? Um, Have a plan going into it. And that plan should be asking a lot of questions. And if you're asking a lot of questions and you know you're asking the right ones, then it should be very easy to listen more than you talk. You know, we're, we're a lot of salespeople, we're extroverts, right? And so natural for us to just kind of talk and, um, you know, we got away with words and, and in part, that's why people hire us. But I think uh, part of success in the role is fighting those impulses to just talk and um, reminding yourself to take a step back and realize this is really about the customer. And mm-hmm. the success you have is going to be about uh, is going to be based on how well do you understand them and their needs, and how well can you structure a solution to meet their problems. So. Without a doubt, um, I think the be- so I've seen a lot of research that shows the top salespeople are listening 60 to 70% of the time um, compared to how much they're talking. So listen yeah. more than you talk. Well, and I think uh, all extroverts who are sales reps have something to learn from introverted sales reps and all introverted sales reps have something to learn from extroverted sales reps. Yep. And, and I think, uh, you know, the, the, the perfect sales rep will be right in the middle, but, um, not, you know, we, we are what we are. It's one of the yep. core personality fundamental characteristics and so it's if you are one or the other and especially if you're strong one really try to channel if you're strong a strong inter- extrovert try to channel your inner introvert and really think about hey am i am i overstepping and talking too much right now i mean that, that's a such an important uh thought as a yeah. final takeaway what should the field rep salespeople listening today and the sale the sale managers of field sales teams what should they do as a first step to master their discovery calls Um, The first step is sit down and write out the questions that you want to ask in every meeting that will allow you to evaluate whether the customer is a good fit um, for your product or service. Um, Think about what those problem questions are. 
think about what types of uh, evidence that they're likely be turning to to determine the extent of the problem and then think about the second order third order consequences the impacts on the corporation and the company uh, and the individuals involved um, that uh, that you're likely to encounter and really take the time to write down what those you know I like to say you should basically be asking the, the same 10 to 15 questions in every single conversations, right? I, that number may vary depending on, on your product, but having absolute clarity as to what I need to learn to evaluate whether this is a good deal, I think that's the most important thing um, you can do to improve your skills. Awesome advice. Well, I'm going to summarize what we've covered here because most people are multitasking or driving or whatever <laughs> sure. while, they're, while they're listening to this. Um, so I'll try to give a quick uh, minute or two summary of everything we've covered. So first, the discovery call is the entry point of the sales funnel and it helps you determine whether you have an opportunity or not. Yep. Research and preparation are key in this stage. You can use LinkedIn, social media, you can search the web and, and you can find out common points of interest to connect with your prospect on a personal level, build that rapport. Your main goals for the discovery call are one, determine whether you have a qualified opportunity. Mm -hmm. Are they your target customer and do they have a need for what you have to offer? And secondly, are they willing to take the next steps to move forward? And if the answer to either of those is no, you know, to, to really be active on, on, uh, on not, wasting your sales cycles on them. In-person meetings uh, for the discovery phase give you a big advantage. Uh, the, so field salespeople have a big advantage here over people that don't get to get in front of their customers because it gives you the opportunity to read your prospect's body language, build stronger trust compared to just being a voice over the phone. During the discovery call or meeting, there are different types of questions you should ask. First, ask problem questions that elicit whether they actually experience the problems that you solve. Second, ask evidence questions such as, how do you know this is a problem? What proof is there in terms of numbers and metrics that this problem exists? Impact questions are also important. They help you find out the impact this problem has in the organization at large, as well as on, on the individual level. The bigger the impact is, the more motivated this prospect is going to be to do something about it and to find a solution. Asking these questions ahead of time, it allows you to tailor your pitch to the specific needs of the prospect. And that's why it's so important to ask these questions before you launch into your, launch into your pitch. So mm -hmm. remember to ask these questions and listen and then adjust. Also remember that people remember stories. This is a chance for you to talk about a, a success story with a, the, uh, of a customer of yours who experienced a similar problem. So show them how this customer is able to overcome their problem with your solution to be more successful. And that's just, it's, that, that hits them in the gut if they can see that, that success. And, and I, I've done that throughout my sales career. It's all about those case studies and just having them at your fingertips, not emailing them to them necessarily, but telling them the story about that customer. So at the end, make sure you set a clear timeline on next steps and close out, the, close out the call strong. Make sure each party, you and the prospect, knows what you need to do after the call to move something forward. A successful discovery call means you got answer to your qualification questions and determined if the prospect had the need and willingness to move forward. A great tip from Victor is to keep a checklist 
with things you need to ask or do or want to accomplish during the conversation to make sure you don't forget anything. It, this process is pretty simple, but it takes discipline and organizations to pull it off without a hitch. Don't make the conversation about you and your product. Make it about the prospect and their problems and needs. Sales scripts are crucial for accountability, consistency, clarity, and proper training. They reinforce the right behaviors and give your salespeople the tools they need to be successful in the, in the field. So that's, that's the first thing you need as a team mm -hmm. if you're a manager is to build out the sales scripts within your sales playbook. As a manager, it's really important to give your reps this type of playbook so they don't encounter any situations where they, they just really don't know what to do. Persistence, constantly improving your skills, and focusing on the inputs that maximize your result are the key things that will get you ahead in sales. Victor gave us advice that I thought was so important. Listen more than you talk. 70% listening. That's how you really get to understand and get to know the prospect. As a first step, what can you do today is sit down and write down the questions that you want in every discovery meeting. F figure out what you want to know about to understand whether a prospect's a good fit for your prospect and whether they can move forward. Then think about the impacts you might encounter along the way. This will give you the tools and confidence you need to make successful discovery calls. There you go. I mean, you're a great listener. Look at all that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, say, I try to be a professional salesperson in, uh, at least in, in, one, in one part of my life. Victor, this has been really awesome. Where can listeners read more about your work? How do they reach out to you if this, if this just rings their bell? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the best place is on my website, uh, donnaconsulting.com. So that's D-A-N-A. -A. There's a hyphen, um, consulting.com. So you can find um, some of my work there, the writings on my blog, and also an opportunity to contact me. So I, if you, if you want to reach me, that's the best place to find me, um, uh, uh, donnaconsulting.com, D-A-N-A -A hyphen, um, consulting.com. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode of the outside sales talk. If you have any feedback, let us know at feedback at outside sales talk.com. If you like the podcast, subscribe and leave us a review really helps us spread the word and, uh, let other people know, uh, about this. So take care, everybody. Thanks, Victor. And talk to you guys next week. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>